Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I get to sit down and talk to Daisy Barrett who is currently working in Australia. Welcome to the podcast Daisy. Hi Hazel, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited, we literally just spent like the last hour uh, talking on your podcast, uh, Trainer Talks and Tales. I'm so excited to be on it. Uh, and now I get to chat to you. It's so fun. We get to swap roles and chat about all the things that we love, which is exciting. I know. How amazing is that? Like we can chat about animals for like half the morning and just call it work. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so Daisy, for anyone who isn't familiar with who you are, what you do, could you give yourself a brief introduction, please? Yeah, of course. So like you mentioned, I am living in Australia, but I was originally from the UK. So I moved here about 11 years ago. And now I live in Queensland and I work at Sea Life on the Sunshine Coast, where I am a marine animal specialist and I get to work with a really cool colony of little blue penguins and a colony of fur seals as well. Amazing. And you always start your podcast with five quick fire questions and I feel like just for this episode because it's you I'm gonna steal it I'm gonna try and think of five so what were the five that you asked me you said um you said UK or Europe for me so for you UK or Australia oh man that's so hard but I'm gonna go with UK oh really oh my goodness no the weather the weather I know but it's and I thought my mom would kill me if I said Australia. <laughs> oh no! You asked me what about chocolate, and I didn't even—I didn't even hear what the other response was. I was just like, "Yes, chocolate is my answer." Yeah, I think it was lollies or chocolate, and I would go chocolate too. So yeah, yeah, we're on the same page there. <laughs> Fair. And you asked beer or wine? Wine every day. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I can't remember what the others were, so uh, I'm gonna say cetacean or pinniped. Oh, I'm gonna go pinniped. Right, right. You mean you have to, you're currently I kind of have to, yeah. (laughs) I could have been really mean and asked you penguin or pinniped, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do that. So you're currently in Australia now, obviously, but you are originally from the UK. Um, So where did your love of animals come from? Yeah, so like I mentioned, I've been here for about 11 years now. um, And I moved here a bit on a whim to just play sport for a couple of months. Obviously found myself an Australian 11 years later, we're married, still here. Um, But if I take myself back to, I guess, my childhood, I was always really lucky enough to be surrounded by animals. We had a bunch of animals growing up and my parents were awesome at really allowing us to travel all around the world. Every year we did some pretty incredible trips. Uh, We were lucky enough to go to South Africa, see um, all the different species out there, which was amazing. Numerous trips to America, where, of course, we went to SeaWorld, um, we went to Animal Kingdom, we got to see so many different animals. And honestly, I'd say, like, I was very lucky to see a lot of animals in the wild, but going to different facilities is where I got to a, more of a thorough understanding of different species, mm. how different zoos and different aquariums worked. And I think that was probably where the love and passion really developed. But, like, to be completely honest, I never knew how or if it could be a career I think in the UK it's very and it could be different now it was very pushed especially at our school 
you go to university or you don't really do anything. Mm-hmm. So I literally got a spot at university for criminology, which couldn't be further away from what I'm doing now. And just a heads up to everyone listening, if you like CSI, doesn't mean that you want to do criminology. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so yeah, I ended up deciding to take a year out, which is when I went to Australia, came here, obviously fell head over heels with the Australian wildlife. We have so many endemic species, so many cool different mammals, Um and started, you know, volunteering here and figured out pretty quickly that I could make this a career. That's incredible. Before you went to Australia, did was there ever a part in your mind where you were like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, a zookeeper in the UK? Like, did you ever kind of figure out in time to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to work with animals, but like, I'm going to stay in the UK? Honestly, I'd, I'd say probably not. I don't think I had a really clear pathway of where I wanted to mm. go. I guess a lot of my love was around domestic animals. You know, we mm. had dogs. A lot of my family members had dogs. So I think if anything, I probably would have gone towards that side of it. Mm. Similar to you, I wanted to be a vet, but I could not emotionally deal with the sort of the very sad side of comes with being a vet too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really happy with my journey and and how I got to where I am now. And it definitely took um, kissing a few frogs, I guess, would career pass I didn't want to do <laughs> to be yeah. able to find out exactly what I love doing now and I yeah, yeah. couldn't be happier would never look back it's almost like kismet like you moved to Australia not thinking that you were going to work with animals there and then everything just kind of fell into place yeah absolutely and we went back to the UK for about a year and a half um, throughout the time that I've been here and I got to work at a couple of facilities there which was really cool too um, just to experience how that worked you know the slightly different side of it and I know mm-hmm. a lot of you know really cool keepers that work over there now um, but yeah, I, I'm very lucky here. The native animals we have is, is, is amazing. Would you say that there's a difference in like the mentality around zookeeping in the UK versus Australia? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it depends on what sort of part of the industry you look into. Mm-hmm. I'd say from my experience, animal training is a lot more advanced within Australia and probably within America as well as possibly what I saw in the UK but it's different it's difficult for me to compare I my first animal job was at a little farm park which I loved because I got to work with cattle and sheep which are still some of my favorite animals to this day and then my first job within a zoo there was four of us in the whole zoo so going from that to then moving to Australia where I worked at a facility that had you know 250 keepers it was completely different. So I think the knowledge and the understanding was a lot more advanced here mm. because possibly I worked at larger facilities. So mm-hmm. I think it's quite difficult for me to compare. And it'd be so interesting to go back now after you know what I've learned and developed here and see how it's progressed over there as well. Definitely. So where was the first place you worked in Australia? So I started volunteering initially. So I actually volunteered at Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary, which is down in Brisbane. Um, which is a, such a cool little facility. It has so many different native species. Um, and that was really kind of for me to get a bit of an understanding if this is what I wanted to do. Mm. Obviously, one thing we say to everyone now is volunteer because it's not all about cuddling animals all day. Yeah. There is a hell of a lot of hard work that goes mm-hmm. into being a trainer, a keeper, a specialist, you know, whatever you're classed as. And so that was great. That was really cool to have an understanding of husbandry, you know, different dietary requirements, learn more about nutrition, more about medical health, veterinarian stuff too. So that was great. I, I think I quickly realized that I really wanted to expand 
the animals that I worked with to a, quite an exotic range as well. So rather than just focusing on the natives that we had here in Australia, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn so much more about the different species we're lucky enough to have all around the world. Mm. So that ended up taking me um, about an hour and a half north to Australia Zoo, which is just on the Sunshine Coast too. So again, I volunteered there for about six months, um, which was amazing working with so many different species, getting to chat to keepers, really understand how that facility worked. And that's when we headed back to England um, for about a year and a half. And again, like I mentioned, worked there for a few for a year or so, and then came back and managed to get a full-time permanent position at Australia Zoo after that. It's incredible. Um, I went to Brisbane in 2019. I have family over there. I love it. I need to come back. You do. Um, <laughs> visited both Australia Zoo and Lone Pine and Lone Pine really surprised me um I'd been told by my family there go to Lone Pine they love it there um obviously it's like right just outside of Brisbane so it's much closer uh than Australia Zoo is um I honestly I think our day out to Lone Pine is one of my favorite days in Australia it was so fun um wouldn't be a visit to the Sunshine Coast without going to Australia Zoo if you're an animal lover what was it like working there because I feel like Australia Zoo is so well known throughout the world obviously because of the Irwins because of their TV show what was it like starting to work there I think you know after just speaking to you about when you first found out about getting your first killer whale job getting that phone call was yeah it was an incredible feeling and something that I felt like I'd really worked hard towards so I was so proud of myself and I was so excited this is a brand new thing that I'm stepping into. I have no idea what to expect. And I was hired into the roving department. So within the zoo, like there is many other facilities, there's different departments that you work in. So birds, mammals, Africa, et cetera. Roving is a pretty unique department that's not really found at a lot of other facilities. So we get to work really hands-on with so many different species. So we work with different types of parrots, birds of prey, koalas, wombats, dingoes, all the reptiles you can name. Um, we also did tours at the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital. And then we did big presentations every day to, you know, sometimes 5,000 people. So it was our job to bring the animals closer to people. And, you know, Steve had such a famous motto that was, the, you know, the closer you can get to the animals, the more likely you are to fall in love with them, the more likely you are to want to save them. And that was solely our job, which was is so unique. And, you know, we got, like I mentioned, we got to hang out with a bunch of such a cool animals and also chat to people, you know, educate people, which was, which is awesome. We got to take a lot of photos with people and I've had numerous people come up to me and say, Hey, your face is on my fridge with my son. And, <laughs> a snake. and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, roving was brilliant. And I ended up being able to work my way up to running that department, which was incredible. So I love presenting. Presenting is one of my favorite things to do within the industry as well as obviously work with the animals. Um, so I got the opportunity to work with such a good team. I was very lucky with the team I had underneath me. Teach them all about presenting, working with different animals, different behaviors, um, different individuals and their sort of personalities too. So that was really, really re rewarding. Um, unfortunately, though, that came to a pretty quick stop when we got hit with this um, awful pandemic being the fact that we were the closest to people it was the first department that obviously didn't make sense so mm -hmm. that was quite difficult um, and after a couple of weeks off I came back in within the mammals team and the birds team and did a bit across both 
which again was awesome. It really upped my skill set with different species. I worked with some new animals. I hadn't Tasmanian devils, got to work with otters a little bit more, progress into my raptor handling, which was great. Honestly, it was a brilliant opportunity, but I think there just came a point where my development for me wasn't challenging enough. Mm. And I also think the training, animal training is something I've always been very passionate about. And I don't think it was very prominent within the facility. And that's kind of where my love and passion went into chasing marine and having so much more of an understanding about the marine world. And obviously that a lot of the training comes from the marine industry originally. So yeah, I am so grateful for the experience I had at the zoo. I met lifelong friends, some of which were my bridesmaids, some of which I just got off a plane off about an hour and a half ago. So we just celebrated my birthday up on an island. I got to, you know, hang out with so many cool animals, learn so much, really develop my skill set. But it definitely was time for me to move on at that yeah. point. Yeah. What would you say your management style is like? You know, I think that's um it's a it's a topic that's kind of close to my heart as well because I feel like within maybe not the zookeeper industry so much, but definitely within marine mammals, we have this kind of running theme of, you know, toxic work environments and you know, a lot of people, you know, being abused or being bullied um in in work. I feel like it's essential that we put the right people in management roles. Um And I feel like not everyone is suited to management roles. Um, What would you say you learned from that position or advice you could maybe give to others? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's, it's difficult because I think sometimes within zoos and aquariums, we see people progress into those management roles because they've been there a long time Mm -hmm. rather than them actually having the skill set that it takes to work with people. Working with animals easy try and lead a team of people that's where it becomes quite tough so I one thing I would say is you know facilities really need to invest in their management and their leadership Mm -hmm. and make sure that those people have that skill set for me the biggest challenge was I'm a bit of a people pleaser I mean like I like to make sure that everyone's happy everyone is feeling content and obviously when it comes to leading a team that can't always be the case So that definitely took some massive adjustment for me, you know, to make sure everyone is still thriving in their role. Everyone is feeling challenged. Everyone's got places that they're going, you know, they're content at work, but also having an understanding that not everything can happen straight away Mm -hmm. when people are asked. And also, I guess the hardest thing for me was having to take time off the floor to do rosters or budgets, you know, the stuff that comes along being a manager that's not as fun as working hands-on with the animals. So. I I think the best advice I can give is try and be true to yourself as much as possible because when I focused too much on not making sure my team were happy because I was so worried about being too much of a people pleaser, I found myself not being completely myself Mm. and that's going to affect my team completely. So staying as true to yourself as you can and being open to learning about being a manager, asking for the feedback, asking for courses, asking for more chances at educating yourself and how to deal with different people. And, you know, those tough conversations with staff is some of the hardest things, but you le- you learn so much through it too. I love that. And I feel like every single person listening to this will be able to think of every leader that they have had and will be able to pinpoint I love that about that person, or I really didn't like that about that person. And one of the pieces of advice I give to all of my mentees, those who are working in positions they feel completely comfortable in, and maybe others who are a bit more, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I don't really like the leadership here. The best way that they can make change in this industry is to be the change. 
And if they want better people in leadership roles, keep going. You be that person. And I would also say that to anyone who is currently in a leadership role. And I feel like there's a lot of trainers out there that I have met who are of the opinion, you know, well, I had to endure this. So I'm going to make sure everyone underneath me has to go through the same shit. Um, Whereas I'm very much of the belief, well, if you had to struggle, let's reach down and make sure everyone underneath you doesn't have to struggle the same way. Let's make it easier for them. Absolutely. I think you just, you know, that so well. I think just because you've experienced that doesn't mean that that's what everyone else needs to experience. And it's going to make a hell of a lot of difference. And people Mm -hmm. are looking back at what they want to take from your management skill set or your style of leadership. And it's going to be a lot more positive things if you're acting in that responsible manner. Absolutely. Um, Obviously, I can't let you talk about Australia Zoo without talking about the Irwins. Um, Did you work with them? What was it like to be around them? Are they as crazy as they seem on TV? Uh, I mean, look, this is a question we get asked a lot, obviously working at the zoo too. And I think people have to remember that they're running a business. So they are very busy. I definitely didn't see them. You know, I was there for about just over five years and I worked a little bit with them for the presentations, primarily when organizing, because during school holidays, a lot of the time they would present alongside us um, for the big wildlife warriors shows, which was really cool. So I had a bit of communication with them for that. Um, but a lot of the time they're doing a lot of management stuff. We don't see them on the floor as much as I think people think. Um, so I'd love to give you this really thorough insight, I guess, into their personalities, but I just didn't, yeah, we didn't come across them as much, I guess, as people think. Um, but no, I think that's, I think that's amazing because I use them as an example, actually, for how, uh, you can market as a, and how you should run your social media. Uh, we spoke about it, obviously, on your podcast, but bringing the humanity into it. Everyone feels like they know the Irwins. Everyone, like if you look at any of the comments on anything like Robert Irwin puts up, it's always about his dad. Oh, your dad would be so proud. Like people care about them. And because they care about them, they think, oh, they care about the animals. Like it's a it's a nice cycle that they've got going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, it must have been an interesting dynamic for a zoo, you know, for people to to know to know the people that run it so well yeah definitely and it came with a lot of questions you know almost every <laughs> other guest that would come through would be like so where can we see them I'm like I have no <laughs> idea man like they're in their I'm exhibit so- um just at the end <laughs> they're covered in snakes and running away from the crocodiles <laughs> I'm like you're good as this guest is mine like I'm very busy with this animal right now so <laughs> good luck um but yeah like they were present and you know people did get the opportunity to meet them and they were very happy to stop and chat with people when they were around but definitely busy with whatever you know whatever goes into running a zoo definitely um so your big motivation obviously after the pandemic uh to find something new and to grow was training so you are now currently working with penguins and with fur seals so what was it like taking that jump from terrestrials to marine uh, it was so interesting. I can't put it in any other word than it's just so interesting. I remember I initially applied for a SEAL trainer role within that facility that I'm at now, and I didn't get the role, mm. which was completely fair enough. I had no SEAL experience. And I sobbed on the couch for about 30 minutes. And for me, that sounds really sad, but it was the biggest wake up call to be like, this is exactly what I want to do. Mm. I'm this upset about not getting that position. I'm going to make sure I get the next one, uh, which I did, which was awesome. <laughs> how did you make um, How did you make sure you got it? What did you do? 
Um, so the position was slightly different. So it was primarily working with penguins initially. Mm. Um, and I had a lot more bird experience, obviously, than having, ever having any pinniped experience. So I think that came into play with that and right. possibly applying twice. They were like, okay, we should maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe meet this chick and see what she's all about. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how I got into it. And I think there was a lot of differences. I think a little bit in obviously the style of animal training and the advancement of the training that I'd ever seen before, it blew my mind what these animals had learned, the behaviors they were able to demonstrate. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that within terrestrial species now. And that was mm -hmm. definitely something that was very prominent to me at the recent conference that I was able to attend a couple of months ago. Some of the stuff that I'd just seen with pinnipeds, um, a lot of cognitive challenges, we're now seeing that with so many other terrestrial species too, which is really cool. So I think marine mammal kind of led the field a little bit and now it's trickling down into other zoos and more of those different species, which is so cool to see. So I think that was definitely one of the biggest, you know, sort of um, new things that I experienced whilst going there, a whole new level of the language that's used, um, which was really interesting too. And just working around water, that's different. <laughs> I have lost about three radios into the penguin. Exhibit, oh, no. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. Not the they're radio. Very, they're very forgiving. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant. I absolutely love what I'm doing now and I've never looked back. Oh, that's incredible. What's it like working with penguins? Penguins are so fun. And I never gave them enough credit for how much personality they have. So we have um, a colony of about of 17 birds now. Um, of little blue penguins and they all have so much different personalities some are slightly more confident with each other some are slightly more confident with us um, which is really interesting some of them um, different training styles that we utilize as well with them but they're great they're so much fun they're inquisitive with enrichment they're great at new learning which is something that we weren't too sure how they'd go with that um, but yeah they've they've blown us away with what they've been able to learn and you actually presented um, some of your training at the recent conference in Australia, right? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to attend with my manager, Jess. We attended the ASAK conference, which was at SeaWorld in May, um, which was really cool that the conference was based on training to inspire positive welfare. So we, over the last sort of year, two years, I guess, we've developed a little blue penguin husbandry training program that entails a few different behaviors that we can better their welfare and better the amount of husbandry stuff we're able to do with those animals. So for example, we're now able to do voluntary pickups where we can do body score condition checks. We can check their feet, we can check their beaks, their eyes, and it's all without the need to restrain obviously and run around and try and catch them, which can cause a lot of stress for them and for us. And it's just not necessary to. And I think for us, it was really interesting Obviously, a lot of these behaviors are done with so many other species all the time. But when it came to little blue penguins, we did a bit of research into it. And there's just not a lot being done out there at different facilities. They obviously come with a lot of their own challenges. So they're a social group and they're generally quite a flighty species too. So we can't we can't gate a particular animal like we could with a pinniped and work solely with that animal you know, they work better within their own colony, but then we're dealing with a hierarchy and the social dynamics as well. So there's a lot to take in. Um, but yeah, we found so much about it and so interesting what they were able to achieve, like a little, little superstars. So it was really cool to being able to present that at the conference um, and get the response that we just had absolutely no idea we were going to get, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. You guys actually won best training presentation, right? 
Yes, we did, which is just amazing. And every time someone says that, I'm like, wait, what? We did? (laughs) We absolutely went into it with, you know, just wanting to put out there what we've been doing and hope to inspire some other facilities that have little blue penguins in Australia, what they are quite capable of doing. Never did we imagine that we'd win best presentation overall. And that was lucky enough to be chosen by the three keynote speakers that were there, which was Ken Ramirez, Tim Sullivan, and Rick Hester, which was yeah, incredible and such a huge achievement for both me and Jess and the whole training team. And we're very proud of it. You should be. And how have you felt that your training skills personally have grown since being in your new position? Because I feel like so many new and aspiring trainers worry about like, how am I supposed to know how to train these behaviors? Like how, how are all of these incredible trainers doing this? Like I wouldn't even know where to begin. I think yeah, and definitely right. It it was very overwhelming when I first started. I thought, you know, I had a quite a basic understanding of animal training prior to moving, but that's just blown blown my mind of how much more you can learn and how much more is out there. I'm very lucky to work with a team of very driven people. It's the most passionate and driven group of people I've ever worked with. And I have some incredible mentors within that team, which have guided me and helped me so much. I did all the dishes and I sat and I watched sessions and I asked about 2,500 questions every time. And honestly, I think that's one of the best ways you can learn. Question everything. Not only is it teaching the trainer and it's also teaching yourself too to talk about those different behaviours, what you're reinforcing, what you're not, what you're looking out for. That massively helped me. And that definitely took a fair while to sort of progress with that and feel confident in what I was saying, listening to so many podcasts, so many different things about animal training and expanding my knowledge of the training language and understanding training terms a whole lot better too, which has really helped. I've just been given my very first uh, behavior to train with a seal, which is really exciting. Uh, For me, it's like a huge, exciting and, you know, something I'm hoping will be a successful achievement too. So I'm really grateful with where I've progressed over the last two years within that, within the industry, within the facility, sorry. That's amazing. And to what extent does, um, would you say relationship plays a part when working with penguins specifically? Actually, I think a whole lot more than I thought. Mm. I think we see it probably more so spoken about with your relationships with the pinnipeds or, you know, working at different facilities with cetaceans and sometimes with different birds. I think from my prior experience at Australia Zoo definitely was important with parrots having relationships is, is very, very important. And I didn't think so much so with the penguins. And that probably took me about six to 12 months before I realized actually it plays a whole lot of a role Mm. in this. And our penguins are great. We have quite a small training team. So there's only about six of us that work with them pretty full on um, with their training. But even between the six of us, they're pretty good at working out, hey, you spend a whole lot more time with me than you do. And I'm a little bit more comfortable and they show us, they show me signs, I think of that too. So I definitely think it's, it's important to build a relationship. And not only that, the penguin, I wouldn't say precursors, but the penguin personalities and the different behaviors that they're giving off to you. I think you notice a whole lot more when you have a more of a thorough relationship with that particular Mm. animal. Do you have a favorite penguin? Oh, I mean, I shouldn't have favorites, but I definitely do. Um, Last year was the first year we've successfully hatched two penguins at Sea Life, which was really exciting. So I'm going to have to say the first chick that hatched, his name is Ziggy. 
he's just celebrated his first birthday and I was very lucky to play a fairly big role in his growth and development. So he's mm. definitely my favorite. He's the most inquisitive animal I've ever worked with and a little superstar with his training too. That's adorable. And do you have yeah. any stories of like mishaps with the penguins? Cause I feel like they are one incredibly clumsy, but two, they're just, yeah, they're just so memorable. Yeah, I always say that penguins are so incredibly agile, but they have they are not graceful at Mm-mm. all. Like I see them scaling the rocks and they're just like backflip down. I'm like, <laughs> how have you done that? <laughs> so good. Um, but I think like training mishaps, I guess for us, we didn't realize how reinforcing everything would be to them. So we've mm. had times where we've been trying to do crate training and we look away for one second and there's 16 birds in one crate. <laughs> uh- like okay good how do we tackle this for next time because like great you've got the idea okay (laughs) yeah but again like it's a great indication to us that training is reinforcing it's very positive for them they're choosing to participate in those sessions which is what we want to see um so I think yeah when it comes down to training mishap most of it is having too many penguins in one place (laughs) at a time um but from then on you know with that we've learned and developed a very basic gating system so we obviously want the penguins to always have access to water. We always want to make sure that they can come back to the colony if needed. Um, so we've created a very basic gating system, which allows us to just work that little bit more one-on-one with some of them. And sometimes we do it in groups of two or three. Um, but by doing that, we've been able to really progress and develop that understanding of different behaviors and eliminate the chance of having 17 birds in one crate. <laughs> it's really interesting as well that um, they've learned a gating system because you said that they're such social birds um sounds very similar to cetaceans actually did you have any issues in the initial stages like getting them to gate away from others in the group honestly no our penguins are so confident they're really comfortable around us and and there's definitely a couple that are maybe less confident and in that instance if we ever do that we allow them to go through with a buddy so that little buddy is a bit of reassurance for them and generally a more confident animal Um, And like I said, if they choose to go through the gate and they want to exit back through the entry, we never allow them, we never don't allow, sorry, for them to do that. We just look for better opportunities to reinforce the correct movement of the behavior next time. But yeah, I'd say overall, we haven't had any, had too much trouble, which has been really lucky with our calling. That's incredible. Well, Daisy, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. Um, We've been chatting for like a good couple of hours now. Uh, (laughs) But if anyone is listening to this and maybe also wants to listen to your podcast, because you've had some incredible guests on so far, can you let people know where they can find it? Yeah, definitely. So we have just started the podcast community and that's with my co-host Tess, who works at Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary that I spoke about earlier. Um, so you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're at Trainer Talks and Tales and on Instagram as well. And yes, we just had Hazel on and she's our very first international guest, which is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was such a great conversation. Um, so yeah, if anyone listens to this regularly, I might be repeating myself a lot with some of the stuff I've said, but otherwise you can go and head over there and hear more about the killer whales. But Daisy, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Hazel. I really appreciate your time. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and I will catch you all next week.